called an election cycle, where there's new politicians. And, you know, they always come up with creative slogans, don't they? You know, life won't be easy under Albanese. <laughs> dun, 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 right? Let's make America great again, right? Hope we can believe in, you know? And, and look, you know, we, we all... We, we all know, and history has told us that, I mean, this, there might be a change of the guard, but look, at the end of the day, we can't, we've sort of lost confidence, particularly now, right? Particularly post-pandemic. Many people lost confidence in uh, general institutions and leaders and all those things. Uh, but even prior to the pandemic, people would just say, oh, yeah, it sounds, but, but there's, there's a little, there's a, I don't know if you noticed this, there's a little tiny, I don't know, there's a tinge in all of us that kind of hopes, right? <laughs> Oh, maybe may, may this guy, maybe this gal, whatever it might be, you know, they're going to be the change that, that, you know, that we need, that we wanted. They're going to get our country where it needs to be. Well, we come to today's passage, and this is a massive transitional passage in Israel's history. They, they moved from what's called the judgeship, right? Think of the book of Judges, to a monarchy. Massive shift, huge shift. They've gone from, you know, Various judges living in different locales, okay? So you, you think, when you, you're like, I don't know who's a judge. What, what does that mean? Think Samson. He was a bad judge. He was a pretty lousy judge. He's a womanizer. He's a Fabio judge, sort of. But, but that's who he was. He was a judge, right? And you know, here's what's actually interesting. Let me just share this about the judges. Some people, when you think, when you, uh, if you've read, how, show of hands, don't lie, you're in church. <laughs> Who here has read the book of Judges before? Okay, good. We went through it as a church, so you've, at least you can tick that box, okay? Um, so you, you may not realize about the judges, you sort of, you read like you get the first judge, Othniel, and then you get to Ehud, who I love, he's the left-hander, right? And, and then you get to Shemgar and, and all of these different judges and Gideon and so on and so forth. And, and we sort of, I guess, maybe read those judges chronologically, right? So it's like, okay, here's this judge and he died. And then the next judge comes and he died. What you have to understand, though, is a lot of the judges, they actually overlapped, both in geography and in time. Make sense? So, like, Samson could have likely been alive during when Samuel, or at least Eli, was alive. So it's quite interesting that there's this overlap of judges. Now, I say all of that because you can almost picture it like premiers, in a way, right? The premier is overseeing this state and another premier over that state. Same times, you know, one country, different leaders. But now, Israel is going to shift from this time of the judges to a monarchy. Now, what's interesting, though, about that is it's not just political, because you're kind of like, oh, well, you know, how long ago was this? And I don't really care about their politics. It's not just political, it's actually spiritual. So they, they, they move... They're, they're, they're banking on what should be kind of, um, you want to call it a theocratic ideal, right? Where, where God is king, and, and they say, well, we don't, we're, not, we're not happy with that. We, we want something better, and that's what we see today. And you know, if you're here, and you're a Christian, you often will struggle yourself with this idea of, yeah, I've got God, but I want this. Right? And, and if I could get this, then I could be happy. We, we often struggle with that. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, 
Maybe you've grabbed the world by the horns, and you know there might be moments, there might be moments that are fun. There might be moments where you feel happy, but at the end of the day, you know you're not. You know you're not happy. You know, you know, that, you've grabbed, you know that you've grabbed for it and you've come empty-palmed. You know that when you sober up, you're just as miserable before you took to that bottle. You know that when you sober up, you're just as miserable. And so I want to say this. There, there is, if you're here, if you're a Christian, if you're not a Christian, that there is a king, and knowing and being under his rule is the only thing that's going to satisfy you. The only thing. So with that said, I want us to um, just pray, and then we'll, we'll dive right into it. Father, we again um, come before you with open Bibles, and we pray that we'd have open hearts. We know that only your spirit can do that. So may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, in Christ's name, amen. So um, I don't know if you've ever studied abroad before, or maybe you've left your hometown for a season, you know, the town you grew up in. And maybe some of you, you've worked overseas, like as an expat or whatever, and when you come back to your hometown, you feel like nothing's changed, right? So-and-so's still working the same job. Oh my goodness, they're still wearing the same outfit. They're still, they still like the same restaurant. Not much has changed. You have changed, but not much has changed there. When we pick up in today's passage in 1 Samuel, Many years have passed. Samuel is actually an old bloke now. Yet at the same time, as, as much as there's been multiple years, not much has changed. Not much has changed. And in fact, we arrive, when we open up this passage, at an all too familiar scene. You've got this spiritual giant, this spiritual guru, this spiritual leader, and lo and behold, he has feral sons, spiritually derelict sons. Shocking. Uh, you might recall that's, that's how this book started off. Remember Eli and his two sons of Belial, right? Worthless sons. Well, unfortunately, history seems to be repeating itself. We're told that these two sons of Samuel were given jobs by their daddy. Significant roles, mind you, as Israel's Judges, we just talked about some of those judges, right? But here's the deal. It was a bit odd for Samuel to appoint his son's judges. The priesthood had a bloodline to it, was hereditary. You tracking with me? Not judgeship. It's almost like Samuel is creating his own little dynasty in a way. Could be. I mean, because what's happening? Well, how do you get a judge? Well, the people are supposed to wait for the divine appointment of a judge. Nevertheless, here are these boys a long way from home. They're in Beersheba, which is the southernmost bit of the border of Israel. They're a long way from home, and they're a long way from their dad's morality and spirituality. Have a look at 
chapter 8 with me. You see what I'm talking about. Chapter 8 of 1 Samuel says this. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn, first son was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Wow, so interesting. So different to their dad. They're acting more like crooked politicians, really, aren't they? Samuel, we're told in the very beginning here, appointed his sons as judges. Ooh, not good. Mm -mm. And his sons were dodgy. Oh, not good. And so, and so, verse 4 is the logical outcome. Look at verse 4. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old. Yeah, thanks for that. You are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Notice he is righteous, right? They don't walk in your ways. Now, they could, they could have stopped there. They could have said, so we need new judges. We, so we, you know, we need something needs to happen. But what do they do? They take it a step further. Now, appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. So the elders look around both internally and externally. Okay, internally, what do we've got? Well, internally, they're stuck with these, these terrible guys, right? These corrupt judges. And, and these, these guys are doing exactly what Moses warned the people about and back in Deuteronomy 16 when he said this, you shall not pervert justice. You shall not show partiality. Listen to this. See, I mean, it, it's like you go tit for tat. You shall not pervert justice. You shall not show partiality and you shall not accept a bribe for a bride blinds the eyes of the wise and subverts the cause of the righteous. Well, that's exactly what they're doing. Verse three just told us. So that's what's happening internally. You with me? But what about externally? Again, the elders are looking around, they look internally, they look externally. There's some looming dangers as neighboring countries are beginning to strengthen their forces, particularly the Arameans to the north and the Ammonites to the east. You see, such unstable times called for strong leadership. Not so much on a local level, remember judges were overseeing local areas, but on a nationwide level. Only the kind of leadership that, well, a king could bring, which makes sense, humanly speaking, but hold on a tick. They've forgotten what? That there are something unique about Israel, there to be a theocracy, right? The Lord is their king, but they're not content with this theocratic ideal, are they? They want more. You understand they're not after a new judge, they're after a new institution altogether. And they believe a human king would bring this type of stability and prosperity that they're after. Now, it's worth pausing here. It's worth pausing here um, to say this, that their desire for a king was not inherently wicked. Okay, so the, the concept of a king 
is not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, kingship is not against God's good design. Far from it. Uh, you'll remember the very beginning, right? The very beginning of the Bible, people were created in the image of, in the image of God in order to do something, right? So God put them in the garden to work, <laughs> to rule, right? Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and ev over every living creature that moves on the ground. Genesis 1.26. Adam was placed in the Garden of Eden to do something, to exercise authority over it. This was God's plan to demonstrate and affect his sovereign rule over creation. That's why if you keep reading in the book of Genesis, it, you come to Abraham and Sarah. And Abraham and Sarah, are, they're made in a, a crazy promise. They say that though they didn't have any kids, that kings will come from your line. You hear that? Kings will come from your line. Monarchs will come from you. And later, that same promise was given to their grandson, Jacob. Finally, we get to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 17. Check this out, you guys. Now we've got regulations on how a king was to function in Deuteronomy 17. Deuteronomy 17, and when you come to the land the Lord your God is giving you and possess it and dwell in it and then say, I will set a king over me, you may indeed set a king over you. Did you hear that? So did Samuel not know that verse? I mean, was he not paying attention in Bible drill or... You guys don't have Bible drill here, do you? Or, you know, Bible class or whatever. Is he not paying attention? Certainly Samuel knows that. Um, I'll read it again. When you come to the land, well, they're in the land. The Lord your God is giving you, well, and possess it and dwell in it. Deuteronomy 17, verse 14. And this is what you'll say. Okay, Moses writes, this is before this time. He says, I will set a king over me. You may indeed set a king over you. Samuel, you're, you know what it is? You're just old and crotchety, and that's why you have your knickers in a knot. No, 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 no. Look at the rest of the verse. You may indeed set a king over you, whom the Lord your God will what? Choose. Samuel's hiccup is not with kingship. You understand? I mean, didn't his mom, Hannah, didn't she pray for a king back in chapter 2? The reason he's upset is because the people are refusing to wait for the man of God's own choosing. They wanted someone on hand, immediately, effective, right now, and as a result, they're bringing things about prematurely. It's their attitude. Can you see it? It's their attitude and the motive behind the request, which, if you have your Bible, you can spot for yourself. You can spot their motive. Look at their intention. Look at verse 20. If you drop down to verse 20, they, they show their cards. Notice in verse 20, back to 1 Samuel, if you're there, there shall be a king over us that we also may be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and notice, fight our battles. They don't come to Samuel and say, we want a king who's going to represent the Lord who's going to be God's vice regent on earth. Someone through whom the Lord is going to win victories for God's glory. No, 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 no. 
What did they say in verse 20? Instead, they're saying, we want somebody that'll do the hard work for us so that we don't have to trust in God. We want a man, a a man's man, a Leonidas type of man, right? We want someone tall, dark, and handsome, someone compelling, someone intimidating, so when our enemies see, they quiver, so that we can rely on him at the end of the day, not on God. Can, Can you see their misplaced trust? I think Samuel sees it. I think he sees right through it. I reckon he discerns their hearts. That's why in verse 6, when the people come to him with this request, this appeal, it says that he's displeased, displeased him. Understandably so. I'm sure there was a personal element in this as well, right? I mean, he's been the judge of the people all this time. You remember back in chapter 7? Remember last week? Right? That's, gone, that's gone on Samuel's resume, for goodness sakes. I mean, this is, that, was, that was legit. And here the people are saying, yeah, we don't want you anymore. So he, there's a level of, of personal offense, obviously. But here, what does he do? What does he do? When, when the people say this, well, he's disappointed. He's displeased. His reaction is displeasure, but his counteraction is to pray. Not amazing. His reaction, I'm offended. I'm insulted. I'm disappointed. But his reaction to it, his action to it, or counteraction to it is to pray. That's that's challenging. When I'm disappointed, I'm I'm happy to tell lots of people that I'm pretty disappointed. But I don't find it that easy to pray at all. How about you? You know, when you're displeased, do you pray about it? Do you go to the Lord first with it? Do you trust Him? Well, Samuel prays. But you know what's interesting? He must have been quite shocked because you think, all right, Lord, I'm going to go tell God about this. Wait till God hears about this one. You know, don't forget the one that thundered from heaven. Yeah. And I got this connection with that. Yeah, I'm going to go talk to him. And here's what's amazing. I mean, you're going to be quite surprised. Look at verse 6. Verse 6, but the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice of the people. (laughs) Obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. You see how the root of the problem is not political, is it? Spiritual. It's spiritual. By asking for a human king, ultimately they're rejecting God as their king. But sadly, this is nothing new. God knows that. I mean, from the days of the Exodus, this has been their MO. That's what he says in the next verse, right? As he generalizes their entire history, verse 8, according to all the deeds they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. 
It's absolutely remarkable that the Lord honored their request, isn't it? If I was God, I'd say, that's it. Give me all the people that, get, get, round up those elders. You know, this, we're done. But he says, nah, you know what? Just, just give them what they want. Give them what they want. Really? But if you look carefully there in the text, there is a sense of poetic justice to this. What do I mean by poetic justice? Look carefully at verse 9. Look at the language that's used. You can't really recognize it in your English Bible. Uh, but the word ways, can you see that there? The word ways here means judgment. It's kind of fun to say in Hebrew, mishpat. If you have a pen, actually, you might even want to circle that word ways. It's, it's given in the 10th verse as well. Because the word ways, again, you can write next to it, you can write judgment. That's, that's literally what that means. Declare to them the judgment of the king who shall reign over them. The operative word being judgment. Basically, the Lord is going to give them a king as a judgment for rejecting him. Look at verse 10. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, these will be the, see their word there? Ways, judgments, of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons. Verse 13, he will take your daughters. Verse 14, he will take the best of your fields. Verse 15, he will take your grain. Verse 16, he will take your male servants. Verse 17, he will take, you see a pattern there? He will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. It's like the Lord is saying, you want to reject me for a human king? All right, fine. But here's the judgment this king will bring upon you. You want this impressive leader, this good-looking guy, this mighty warrior, but you know what? At the end of the day, you'll get a taker. In search of autonomy, they reject God as king, and in so doing, choose tyranny. Listen, friend, God's ways are absolutely perfect, are absolutely perfect, and following him is not going to ruin your life. God created you, knows you, loves you. Living under the rule of God, there is true freedom and real joy. But outside of his rule, there's absolute bondage and despair. Samuel says, guys, this king that you asked for this king that you asked for is going to take and take and take and take. And you're going to whinge about it. You're going to cry out and protest. And when that day happens, I'm going to turn the, the audio button. I'm going to push mute. I'm not going to respond to you. Look at verse 18. And in that day, you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. Scary, isn't it? Now, 
Now, given the straightforward way in which Samuel has warned them, you'd think they'd say, oh, oh actually, on second thought, oh, we, we believe you. We don't, we don't think that, you know, you're all talk. No, no, no. What do they do? What do they do in verse 19? They actually double down. <laughs> no! Look at, look at verse 19. This is just amazing. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, no, but there shall be a king over us that we also may be like other nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. They reject God's rule. Do you see it on two fronts? Two fronts. Can you see it? They want to become like the other nations and they want a human figure to fight their battles for them. Stop and think about that for a second. God called them to be his unique people to live under his special care. Yet, they're willing to chuck all of that away. For what? Status. Status in the eyes of the world, so they can be like the other nations, to look like the surrounding pagan nations. It's so, it's so ironic here, too, because they say, we want a king, we have a perfect king, but we want a king like the other pagan nations. And what does Samuel say? Mm, be careful what you ask for. You're going to get exactly that. And we want someone that we can see, taste, touch, smell sort of thing, right? We want a visible champion. Have they forgotten last chapter? The invisible God thunders from heaven. The Lord is their warrior. They didn't have to do a thing. They didn't think about that. All they had to do was gather and pray. No one, there was no call to arms, no shots were fired. They just prayed. And the Lord thunders from heaven. And they say, that was nice. Grandpa told us about that. But we've moved on from those things. We want something a little bit more progressive, a little bit more relevant. Thank you. It's was good. I'm sure it was great, but, but we want it. We want it. Someone we can see. Give, give us that person. And so in verse 21, when Samuel heard all the words of the people, he repeated it in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey their voice and make them a king. Quite alarming, as you reflect upon your Christian experience, the times in life when you wanted something dreadfully and God chose not to give it to you. And there were other times when you wanted something and he says, go on, if you really want it, grab it. But when you grasped that thing, you realize at the end of the day it didn't satisfy. And in reality... Whatever you are holding on to not only slipped through your fingers, but it, it became more taxing on you. you you've, you've exchanged the glory of God for nothing. It slipped through your fingers like sand. It looked so promising, that relationship. Oh, it's worth it to have. I, I know I shouldn't get involved with this person, but oh, like it's worth it. And, 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 it's, and you realize it's not. It's not. It's not worth it. 
God is your king. If you're going to live in his kingdom, you need to trust him. Oh, it's, it's worth it to take this job, and I know that I'm, in order to work there, I'm going to be lying, but God understands. And you take the job, and you feel like, you feel like trash, because you know you're lying. It slips right through your fingers. You grasp it, and suddenly you realize it's not what it promised. Be careful what you ask for, dear friend. Be careful of laying your treasure, your mind, your eyes on things that do not satisfy. Broken cisterns. Anyway, verse 22, we, we get the end of this astonishing event. And Samuel tells it, it's kind of interesting how it just ends. He says, all right, everyone, go home. <laughs> just, just go home. And they do. leaves us wondering when this king that they asked for will appear, right? Then all of a sudden, we turn to the next chapter, which at first seems kind of random. You know what I mean by that? If you've read this through, you've got this man who's lost his father's donkeys. Like, it was like this huge scene, and there's this bloke who's he's a good-looking guy. Don't get me wrong, he's tall, he's handsome, you know, all that stuff. But, but he's, he's a bad shepherd. He's a bad shepherd, isn't he? And this guy decides, oh, I got to find my dad's donkeys, so I'm going to take my servant along with me in search of these donkeys. But not long into the journey, what is this, what is this tall, dark, and handsome guy does? Well, he, he loses patience. He's ready to throw the towel in. He's just, you know what? Forget it. Let's just forget the donkeys. But his servant actually says, whoa, 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 hold on a tick. There's a man of God. He actually only lives about just a few Ks from here. Oh, really? There is? Yeah. Renowned dude. Just a few Ks from where you grew up. Oh, really? Yeah. Let's go ask him. Maybe he can help us find the donkeys. You see, his servant is aware that A, that there's a prophet and that this prophet can actually help them. Who's shining in this story? The tall, dark, and handsome guy or the servant? The servant, right? But his master replies, well, it's not a bad idea, but I mean, we probably have to give him some money, right? Which is not true. He's that, he's that <coughs> aloof spiritually, this tall, dark, and handsome guy. He thinks he can just buy his way to getting a, a message from God, which you're going to see later in this book. He can just buy, I can just buy. And, and, but here's the thing. He goes, oh, well, if we're going to go see this guy, I don't have my wallet. And his servant says, I, I got it, man. Here, I'll shout this for you. I, wait, what? You, you're not prepared? Tall, dark, and handsome man? Ah, you didn't bring any money? You didn't know we were going on a trip? <laughs> Might look good, this guy, right? But he's not exactly thoughtful, is he? Yeah. He's not creative. He's not godly. What's the text saying to us here? He traded in God for that. For that man, Saul. That's the king that you, Shaul, asked for. So that means. Here he is. 
a man who can't find his father's donkeys. That's who you trade in the living God for. And we laugh and we think, that's ridiculous. When you turn from God and grasp sin, that's how ridiculous it is. That's how ridiculous it is. The all-satisfying, all-knowing, perfect God Almighty, and you say, eh, I don't really need church. I'm going to have a sleep in. I'm over it. Besides, they, they make too big of a fuss about not, not missing church there, so I ain't going to go. Even though the Lord says not to neglect meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. Yeah. Oh, look, I, I don't need this in my life. Isn't it interesting in Romans 1, there's this exchange that happens. You ever seen that? I mean, no one likes to read Romans 1 in church anymore because people might leave. Right? But there's this great exchange that happens. God creates people in his image. Gives them, assigns them a gender as male and female. Assigns them a sexuality. And they say, eh, stuff this. We're going to do things our own way. We don't want to live under his rule. We're going to do it our own way. And God says, okay, if that's what you want to do, I'll hand you over then. I'll hand you over. Now, again, let, let us not focus on those sins because just there's a whole catalog of sins there, friends. Disobedient to parents, trunk, etc., etc., etc. That's what it is. That's, it's, it's, you see? You see? You know, it's interesting, this first Israelite king can't find his donkeys, right? So he discovers, as we're going to find out next week, he discovers that he's, he doesn't even know he's the king, he sort of discovers it through this rendezvous of losing his donkey. You with me? Absalom, David's son, his donkey hangs him, Right? And the true king, according to Zechariah, will come riding on a donkey. See, the first king was a taker. The true king is a giver. Jesus said he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That king comes to give his life. And it's only by putting faith in that king, the Lord Jesus, can you be forgiven and saved of your sin by turning from your sin and trusting in the true king of kings and lord of lords. And every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the king, is the Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Is he your king? Is he your king? You can't be neutral about this, do you understand? I passed out a, I'm always passing out two ways to live tracks. We've got heaps of them. And I, I always, when I interact with people at Woolies or Kohl's, actually I go to Kohl's, I don't, I don't like Woolies. But when, when, I, when I'm at Kohl's, I, um, I give people, and people I interact with, I hand them a two ways to live track. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Blue and yellow ones? They're, they're really, you, you, guys, you guys made them. They're from here, from Australia. They're really good. And, and I hand them to people and, and I say, again, if I have, I don't have to have a relationship, but if I have some kind of, just basic working relationship with them. And I say, hey, here, have a read of this. You just, even if you think it's rubbish, just have a read of it. 
You can just tell me, even if you think it's rubbish, it's fine. You know, and, and they say, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. I said, it's not a book, it's not a book, it's not a Jehovah Witness thing, just, just, do I look like a Jehovah Witness? You know what I mean? Like, here, just, just, just have a read of it. Have a, have a read of it. And then you get to chase them up afterwards. I can hand you some of these at the end, but I gave one to one of the soccer dads that, uh, the team that Josiah plays with. Nice guy, him and I have known each other the last couple of years. And, and he said, oh, I, I read it, I read it last night. This was yesterday. He said, oh, I read it Friday. Sat down and felt pretty relaxed and he said a couple of obscenities, which I want to forfeit. And, and then he said, oh, I mean, you know, I, thanks for that, but look, it's not for me. It's not for me. And I said, well, you know, we, and soccer balls are flying around. I said, well, can we, can we explore that a little bit more? Rather than just say, oh, cool, well, if it's not for you. But you know, I'm thinking in the back of my head, you, you have a king, it's just yourself. <laughs> or it's your mates, or for him it's Ford, I think. And you have a king. So is Jesus your king? Every one of you. I know that you guys don't have a monarchy, but you do. All of us. We all have a king. Are you trusting in the king of kings? Or are you trusting in yourself? Trusting in your own autonomy? Trusting in your own morality? Only Jesus can satisfy. Everything else is sinking sand. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you now as our king. And for those that have turned to you in faith and repentance, have been brought into your kingdom. As you came, Lord Jesus, many years ago, and the truth still stands, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Lord, we pray for those that are here that are not Christians. We ask that you'd grant them faith. Lord, help them to see that people themselves are either for you or against you. They can't be neutral. We pray, Lord, that those moments of dissatisfaction, disappointment, we pray that it would be a merciful thing that you'd actually increase that feeling until they turn to you. Lord, we pray that they would feel the need as your spirit tugs and reveals on their hearts the truth of that they are separated from you because of sin and headed for an eternal damnation apart from Jesus. Only you can save. Only you can open eyes. So we ask you to do that even now as people are sitting there. In Christ's name, amen. So, dear friends, if you're here and you are a baptized believer...